Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pulp Hockey Podcast, the kickoff to the new season. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. We are going to be here each and every week talking about the NHL, talking about the storylines, and covering the game the best we can. And we're hoping to have some real cool guests this year as well uh, during the shows. And, uh, yeah, man, if, you, if you're if you a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and you saw the show off of Ray's Twitter feed, thank you again. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, former NHLer and turned NHL uh, TSN broadcaster for NHL. Ray Ferraro, what's up, Ray? How are you? Well, you've been, we've been talking. I'm good. I mean, <laughs> it's always a tough, tough thing, you know, to get back right, into right. the swing of work. Like, you know, even when somebody takes a holiday for a week or ten days, you're like, the first couple days, you're like, oh, man, this is, yeah, man, I'm back at work again. Right. So I've been off since July 2nd, and while that is a crazy amount of time, and I'm super grateful to get that much time off, this all this week mm-hmm. always starts the beginning of a hellish schedule. And so I got my game schedule from TSN, so I'm all set. Mm-hmm. I got my radio schedule, I'm all set. Everything seems possible. <laughs> you know, everything seems yes. okay. Right. But I haven't gotten any of my flights yet. Uh-huh. I haven't gotten any of my, uh, you know, like goofy travel things that don't work when you get a, you know, a delayed flight or anything. Everything's great. Oh, yeah. it'll all work out fine. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, God. Yeah. People, I don't think, and we'll cover this this year, and we've done it in the past. Your schedule is a little nutty, and and we've been trying. We try to do the shows, and we I, I got to figure out where you are and when you have time and your radio hits. Uh, it is you have you have you do have some time off, but it, it when you're working, it is it is wide open. I would say my favorite uh, show that we've done was we started in the hotel. I was in the hotel. <laughs> yes, yes. And then we had to take a break because I had to go down, check out of the hotel, and get in the car. Then we did about 30 minutes in the car to the airport. And then I was at the airport, and then I finished it in the airport. So three venues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it must have been an award-winning show. Right, right. Yeah, it, it was one of the better ones. I had to work with the sound for the three different locations to get it right or get it close enough anyways. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it's good times, man. Um, absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, an exciting year. Thanks for thanks for doing this, Ray. It's, it's always fun. I think people are really enjoying these things, and they enjoy um, listening to you tell us stories and, and talk about the game. And there's certainly lots to talk about. Well, there is, and you know, each each season is, um, you know, you go into it, and you you know, for myself, I start doing my prep and figure out where all the players have gone and which teams are different or the same or, you know, whatever you're you know piecing together, and then 
it all changes because there's an injury or a trade. You know, Eric Carlson gets traded, and you know, does that change the whole, um, you know, the whole ballpark of of what the Western Conference could look like? Um, it's always interesting because of that. It's always interesting because sports is, mm-hmm. without question, the best reality show there is because it's so unpredictable. Hell, the Cleveland Browns won a game. They did. That's how unpredictable it is. And so I I enjoy doing the shows. I do know that this year we will have we'll have more guests. We'll be talking to more people, um, some players, some agents. Um, you never know about the management guys. They're always a little bit a little bit more guarded perhaps but um there's lots of different views on lots of different things right so you know hell camp starts max domi punches aaron ekblad in the face gets a ridiculous suspension of preseason games like why didn't they just suspend them for three scrimmages (laughs) like right you you as a veteran if they told you right you didn't have to play any preseason games Oh, call me October second. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Great. Yeah. So, like, I, I, you know, I mean, like, but there's people that see it, see that play in a different way. So, we'll try and get the most of it. Yep. We'll try to, you know, mm-hmm. we'll. I, I know for those that don't know you, you know, Steve's had a big summer here oh. with his with his oh, it's been... with John Tavares and. Uh, John Tavares, John Tavares. Now he says he doesn't care how his name's pronounced, so you'll hear both ways. Right. I think it's Tavares, but I'm not really sure. And anymore. I say Tavares. He's the guy wearing number nine. <laughs> right. He's the one wearing number ninety-one in and, Toronto. And he scored again tonight, as we're recording this. By the way, just just want to let you know again. So um, I hope you realize the goal record is not in danger. <laughs> it has been, and of course, uh, my wife and the Golden Knights and the Tavares, and it has been. Good times over here. Um, switching sports quickly, though, how much worry factor about the Sox do you have going into the playoffs? I am, for those that don't know, I've been a Red Sox fan since 1975. Uh, my two favorite players, they were rookies that year, Jim Rice and Fred Lynn. And, um, you know, that was my team. And yeah. they went to the series and they lost to the Reds in seven games. And so... Of course they're going to win, except they don't win till 2004. I didn't quite realize there would be a 29-year wait for the thing. But So this year they're over 100 wins, and it looks great, and their bullpen sucks. Oh, yes. It it's... stinks. When, when they get by their starters, if, when they get by Sale, who's had some injury problems, mm-hmm. and Price, who's got – a crappy postseason record and Porcello and Rodriguez, when they get by those guys, it is an absolute crapshoot to how they get to Kimbrell. I don't have to tell you that the postseason in the recent years has been more and more a bullpen game in the postseason. Well, (laughs) I wonder, except Price has been so good for them. Mm -hmm. If you remember last year when he came back from injury, um, they used him almost exclusively out of the bullpen in in three and four inning stints, and he was awesome. And I wonder if they take one of their starters and basically use him like that, whether sure. it's Nathan Eovaldi, and use him as okay. The starters giving us five innings. Somehow we got to get to Kimbrel without giving up twenty seven hits. So it might be one of the starters because. Mm-hmm. 
my worry factor is all about that. Yes, it should be. It, it should be. Uh, it's been an amazing I mean, they're, season. They're, they hit. Yep. They run. Oh. They, you know, like Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez have had just amazing years. And I, I mean, I, I like lots about them. But then you look and go, man, Houston is damn good, and they didn't have Correa and Altuve for a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. They're pretty good. Yeah, they've you rebounded. Know, like, yeah, they're they're coming on the A's. Nobody wants to face the A's. I, I, yeah, they're, you know, the Indians even with with Donaldson. You know, maybe they're. They've been basically. Oh, look kind at of... you with Donaldson. He's hitting two twenty. I still remember. I still hold on to what he can do. Um, no, I would be a little worried as a Red Sox. I'd be a little worried, and you are. So that, that's good to know. Well, you know? I am, but I'd be, I'd be more concerned if I was a Jays fan yeah. and my team was forty games out of first place. It has not worked out. It has not been the summer. Oh, that but they, they did well against Baltimore this year. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think they're like 17-4 and four or something, or 17-3. and three Yeah, against Baltimore the- literally, Baltimore is 60 games behind Boston. Yeah. yeah could like the, they're in a different league. Could the John, uh, Josh Donaldson thing go any worse for the Jays? For him and for the Jays? Like, absolutely there couldn't have been a worse scenario for trading him or keeping him or anything. It's just been a disaster. Well, you know what, Steve? I'm gonna I'm gonna meld or mesh that back to what we're here to do, which yeah. is to talk about hockey. And it's the same. It's funny how momentum works for teams. Some teams they get on a good like the Leafs right now, mm-hmm. whether people want to admit it or not. The Leafs are on a roll. It seems like every move they make seems to work out for them. Right? They, yep. You know they they have no chance. They signed Tavares. They didn't. It didn't look like they had a chance at Babcock back in the day. They got him somehow. They got Lamarillo out of all of that. Now they're. It just it seemed to be rolling along for them. And then you look in the province is Ottawa, and they can't get anything right. Yeah. And it's not like they're not trying. Like they're trying to make the right move, but. You get hamstrung by a previous decision, or you get hamstrung by a tight budget. You you have to rebuild, but hell, you don't have a first round pick because you gave it to to Colorado for next year's draft. Like mm-hmm. the momentum can go in in both ways. When it starts to go bad, that's the most dangerous time because management start to panic. Yeah. And they're like, we've got to fix this, and we've got to fix it now, when in a lot of cases, a slow route is probably the best route. I, I, I think it, it, it's, it's trendy to crap on them in social media, and, and you know the, the things have gone terrible, and the owner is not popular and, and all that. But you know what? I, I don't think they're the worst team in the league this year. I don't know why. I just, just like I felt like... Okay, tell, me, know, who's, tell me who's worse. I'm still working on that. I just feel like yeah, they are they are 32nd in a 31 team league. I just you know these things never quite work out that way. Someone gets off. Well, to okay, a, yeah, yeah, but okay, right. so just look at this, Steve. You could have said three weeks ago, geez, the roster isn't that good. Then they traded Eric Carlson, mm-hmm. right? So that's an enormous unfixable hole. And Dylan Demello is a. He's an adequate player. He's a third-pair defenseman. I like Chris Tierney. Yep. I think he's a good player. Um, Rudolph Balsers, I know him a little bit from the World Championships, and I think he's okay. But the three of them don't fill what Eric Carlson's lost. Right. And then they're doing testing at camp 
Jean-Gabriel Pajot, who's kind of the heartbeat of their team, he blows his Achilles tendon out, and he's gone for the year. There is, in my opinion, there is nothing more useless than teams doing testing at training camp. It is minimally... Yeah, that's um, something that goes back to the it, '60s, right? A, I mean, that's something that. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, but Steve, guys, out, outside of Jake Dochin from Tampa, who yeah. apparently showed up 25 pounds overweight, well, you don't need a ta- uh, test to see that. Yeah, it's minimally helpful to have testing because the guys come in shape, and if they don't, you'll know within two practices because mm-hmm. the tempo is so quick because the game starts so fast. To me, it is it's nonsense. And another reason it's nonsense is because once the players finish the testing, they don't do the testing again that year. Yeah. So what are you comparing it to? Yeah. The next year? Who cares? Is that to say a 22-year-old, gee, he's stronger as a 23-year-old? Of course he is. He would be stronger anyway, just as he's a year older. Yeah. But now Ottawa, with the way this is back to the momentum thing, it rolls along, and now they lose Paggio, too. That's not their fault. No. But he's gone. And where the hell are they going to get another centerman? <laughs> the, uh, the, the the testing goes back to the day, back in the day. And same thing with the morning skates that are going away, right? This is all hockey traditions that have lived on, and everybody's kind of, you know, they're almost obsolete now. Well, my, my 11-year-old, um, play soccer. In the last couple of years, he's had these incredible opportunities to go uh, train and play in Europe. Uh, he played in a tournament called the Gothia Cup this past July. And so uh, in Sweden, in his age group, so just listen to this, in his age group, the 12-year-old age group, there was 168 teams. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It, it's it, ridiculous. Crazy. Anyway, in talking to some of the soccer players they got to train at brighton um you know so they're they're around like real big clubs in england they can't believe that we would skate use energy the morning of a game (laughs) they think it's ridiculous yeah yeah and i'm like yeah you're right it is yeah and so slowly that stuff's going away i wonder if there's a time when the testing goes away because Mm -hmm. for me the only thing it does is it gives the strength coach something to do sure because the guys the guys train all summer and then they start to train towards the end they train to be fit for the test because they want you want to do well in the test (laughs) yeah yeah and you want to do well yeah but if you can do 10 pull-ups or 152 pull-ups I don't know what the hell it matters once they throw the puck on the ice. You're either in shape or you're not in shape. If you're not strong, they're going to know right away. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to me. Uh, Tell me you saw the uh, clip on social media of Pierre Dorian when they asked him about what they can look forward to, the fans can look forward to for the team, and the long pause he had. Did you? Uh, I I would say the two (laughs) things that have jumped out at me in social media the last week one was Pierre's interview. I I don't know. You'd think you could have come up with that answer a little quicker. <laughs> just, just a tad? Um, just a little bit? Uh, so that's number one. Number two is the college football mascot that, oh. that uh, went to shoot the shirt cannon. I, didn't, the I, didn't see, cannon. I did not see this, no. Okay. 
Make sure you down, make sure you <laughs> okay. you YouTube it up. He goes to shoot it, and the thing shoots backwards, and he shoots himself right in the junk. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm googling this right cannot, now. As you, here we go. Just, you cannot watch it once. <laughs> it is, Hold on, pulling it up right now. Oh. <laughs> Colorado. He's Colorado mascot. <laughs> I must have watched that. Honestly, the clip itself is like 10 seconds. Uh, I watched it for five minutes. Oh, uh, that's awesome. And, I will be retweeting and, this on the account. Yes. Uh, Cammy, my wife, she says to me, like, what are you watching? So I show her, and she's like, oh. And then I watch it again, and then again, and then again. And she's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yes, actually, I can't stop watching. No, this is epic. I did not see this. This is great. Um, yeah. Hey, something that's going on in training camps now and, and as they've opened is team bonding things. And some teams yeah. go to resorts. Some teams, you know, do different activities to kind of get bonded a little bit. Some teams do it right before the season starts. They'll take their core team and, and head somewhere. Um what do you remember about that? As a veteran of the league, were you rolling your eyes a little bit at times, or were you fully buying into these th- these things? Well, when they started, you're like the first couple years, you're like, oh man, what do we got to go do this for? Like, mm-hmm. you know, one time we went to um, uh, like a a training base, and you're out in the woods somewhere. I don't even really know. This is with Atlanta, <laughs> okay? And and so like it's all about you know, teamwork and building trust and, yeah. and some of the stuff you're like, like guys came in the next day, like we're climbing ropes and things and right. guys like their hands are shredded <laughs> because you're climbing ropes so fast and you're trying, you're trying to win because you're stupidly competitive. Right. And, you know, it became kind of fun. It was like, Oh yeah, we got a, a day away from the rink, which mm-hmm. is great. By the end of camp, you've had enough. And, um, you're like, you know, you're, you, you you find guys in different situations. Or we were standing on this this one pole, like you had to climb up this pole, and your partner had to help steady you. Okay. And you got a harness on, but you're like twenty yeah. feet in the air. This is a trust trust drill, a trust drill. Yeah, and so <laughs> that was one sort of thing we did. Another one's we went paintball out in the woods, like into an outdoor what, paintball course. What, te- what team is this with? And, uh, that was with Atlanta too. Oh, okay. Atlanta. Because a lot of this stuff. Yeah, but a lot of this stuff didn't start until later in my career, right? Okay. Yep. So we're out there. They pick teams, and we're playing kind of capture the flag. And uh, so when you get shot in paintball, you hold your your gun in the air, right? So you don't get shot again, and then they know that you're out for that round. Well, we figured out if two guys got shot, they would just walk with their gun in the air, and then the guy that wasn't shot, he'd walk in the middle. Oh, he'd yeah, He'd walk yeah. right up and steal the flag. Yeah. And, and so then, as soon as you did that, though, it was open season. Like, guys were shooting you from every conceivable direction. And so one of the things that happens is they give you, you know, here are the rules. You can't shoot from closer than this distance, uh-huh. you know, because yeah. if you've ever been shot with a paintball, they hurt. Oh, they really hurt. And Absolutely. So, yeah. So the next day, guys are coming in with, like, 
<laughs> paintball wounds like in the back of their neck like guys were shooting them from i don't know eight feet <laughs> right, right, you know right <laughs> guys are bruised all over and it's like i don't know if that was bonding or just a hundred percent one of them was jeff odgers a hundred percent was Audrey shooting. Well, no but yeah. see the guys you had to worry about there like Aud- jeff odgers Audrey, and chris tamer guys like that they're hunters they don't miss right <laughs> Like, us dummies, I'd never shot a gun in my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm more liable to hit myself than somebody right. else. Um, but it was it was fun, and then, you know, you have a dinner after, mm-hmm. and, yep. you know, and then you kind of, you know, you kind of hang out for a day, and then you get back together. But teams are doing it all the time, and, you know, they sometimes I think they overthink it, and they've got, you know, like, I don't know, way, way too detailed and right. stuff. Just get the guys together. And, yeah. You know, hang out. Um, yeah, you know, you did that in those two years in Atlanta. It sounds like you were deep in the woods. You know, there's that movie Deliverance. I believe it was somewhere in those Georgian Appalachians. Yeah, no, no, there, we, we, nobody was in a nobody was in a backpacking trek or anything right, like right, that. Right, okay, just checking. Um, hey, so one of the things I wanted to do to start off the year, we, we can get into the training camp stories, and we will, and we'll talk about battles that are coming up, and, and get your thoughts on something. But something that I thought would be interesting. And I've done this, uh, there was a year where we did a few shows and then uh, I started just doing one-on-one with, with NHLers, friends of yours, uh, friends of uh, buddies of mine. And it was really interesting and really cool to get the story behind a lot of players and their careers. And, and I think people liked it. And we've never done one with you and your career. And I thought we could kick off the year by doing maybe a one or two-parter. Um, getting into your career, a lot of these stories you've told before, but bits and pieces and and maybe this will help people kind of, you know, listen to your career and things you've done. I think it'd be fun. Uh, I had to convince you to do it, but I think it'll be good. Trust me. I think you'll like it. Okay, we'll give it a go. But here, here's the yeah. – I will say this. Like, I – you know, so this is my 16th year I've been retired. Uh-huh. So I'm 16 years as a broadcaster. So somebody 20 years old, they don't – even if they're a huge hockey fan, they don't remember watching me play. So they just think I'm some dude in a suit that talks about hockey. I, I don't think they have any idea that I played. and Or if they do, like I can't tell you how many times someone will tweet at me and because I, you know, I am a little bit of a smartass at times, I'll mm-hmm. send them a direct message with my hockey DB page. <laughs> <laughs> You'll actually do that. That's that's awesome. I do like. Yeah, it. but I don't say I don't put anything else yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, like, I just, you yeah. suck. What do you know? And I just send it, and it shows four hundred eight goals. And I'm like, man, I didn't fall off a turnip truck. I, right. I I do I did play, and and I I am as I get older, I think I become more and more appreciative of the of the fact that when I was a little kid. That's all I dreamed about doing, mm-hmm. and then I got to do it for 18 years. I got to play. Like, it, it was, yeah. it went by so fast, you know, and, and I, I said that when I retired, and I maintain to this day, it's, the thoughts never really changed. I don't want the, my whole career back. I just want the days back where I was pissy and moany and right. bitchy about the coach, and, you know, like, I'd like those days back to do over because – once they're done, man, they're done. Nobody. Yeah. Once you leave the door and you're not a player anymore, nobody ever says, "Hey, would you like to come back and play again and 
sit in the room and travel and no, they don't do that. Yeah. And so I, I would like to redo those again. That's, I would say my biggest regret in my career. Yeah, well, well said for sure. And I think anybody, any listener of yours of this podcast or anybody who, who's uh, heard you do a little bit more informal stuff on the radio hits and everything else, you're not one of those guys that sits there, oh, in my day we did this, and in my day we were better. You know, in some cases things change, and you have ideas and opinions about the way the game was when you were a player, but you're hardly one of those ex-players that will sit around and talk about, you know, oh, in my day. And I think that's what people like you about, you know, like about you. Oh, I, th- I think, Steve, like, you know, when I, when I think about the game and I'm watching it today, players do things that we couldn't do. Like, you know, like I live in Vancouver and I'm watching Elias Patterson play. Mm-hmm. And there were no 19-year-olds passing the puck through their legs when we played. Yeah. First of all, we probably weren't, not probably, we weren't skilled enough to do it. Secondly, we were terrified to do it because if you made a mistake, well, you were screwed. You know, there was no leeway for a mistake on a young guy. Thirdly, you probably would have got pile-drived into the boards as you were making the play. Like, there's so many things that are different. To keep referring to my playing days is, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's nonsense. It's The game is, the, there are great similarities, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the, yeah. the rinks are the same size. The you know, number of players on the ice are the same size. The, the rules have changed. The skill level has changed. Um it's. I think my playing in the league gives me a insight that people that never played in this league or never played at all they don't they can't get. And I and I know some people don't like even you know you're playing you know my playing days being referred to, but the simple fact is I was there I was somewhere that you're not so I would know it. Mm-hmm. I would know it better. I, I just would. And it doesn't mean I always get it right when I analyze it or my opinions you might not agree with. But I think I take that, my experience, I try to marry it with what I see in front of me. And the third part of it is, and I can't be any clearer about it, I think this helps me a lot in my analyst career, is I could give a rat's ass who wins. Yeah. I really don't care. And the reason I, I really work hard at that, because I think it helps me be honest. I'm not a Leafs fan. I'm not a Bruins fan. I'm not a Canucks fan. I'm not a Blue Jackets fan. I don't care. I just analyze the game. Mm-hmm. And when the game's over, I go home. And when the Stanley Cup final starts, I hope it ends in four games. <laughs> because then my holiday right. starts. I don't care. I just want the series to be good. I just want it. I want the hockey to be good. And when, when it is good, I think it's, it's as great a sport as there is on the planet. There really, there's really nothing like it for the speed and the physicality and the skill and the courage, everything that goes into being a pro hockey player because of the skating part of it, I think makes it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I love what I do, and and for me, it's it's easy to be honest because I really I really don't care who wins. Right? Yeah, I can I can vouch for that. I think our listeners can vouch for that too. Um, all right, let's go. 
let's go in the way back time machine here and kind of cover what we can before before we got to wrap up and and start again. Um, when do you remember thinking you can play in the NHL? You mentioned that's all you wanted to do. When do was there an age in Trail BC? 13, 14? You're like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. Oh well, okay. There's there's the little kids thought. Yep. And then there's the re- the reality thought. Mm-hmm. When I was in grade one, um, my mom, we have four boys in our family. Um, my mom would keep a scrapbook for all of us, and so in the scrapbook, it had for each grade, it had your class picture, your teacher's name, your best friend, um, your favorite subject, you know, your favorite food. And then it would say at the bottom, it said, what I want to be when I grow up. And it had like doctor, nurse, policeman, fireman, um, whatever little boys and girls wanted to do. And at the bottom of it, so none of those boxes were checked off. And at the bottom of it, in six-year-old handwriting is me uh, writing NHL player. Like, I I just never thought I was going to do anything else. Yeah. And so as I started to play and, you know, I, I was getting pretty good, but you're in trail. I mean, there's 9,000, 10,000 people. Yeah. yeah. You have no concept of the outside world, you know, like who's good in a different part of the country. It's not like now where yeah. we know there's a really good 14 year old in Ontario or in, well, we knew about Austin Matthews when he was 14 or 15 years old, mm-hmm. right in Arizona. Well, there was none of that. So as I started to get better, I started to get uh, some interest from junior teams around 14 and 15. And then I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to be good enough yeah. to, to, you know, to really take a run at this. So obviously, but again, uh, uh, hold on, I was so naive. Though. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I just thought I would just keep playing. <laughs> My coach in junior, I was in Penticton uh-huh. as a 17-year-old. He told me in January, you know, if you keep playing like this, um, you're going to get drafted. And I said, and I, no word of a lie, I said, when? And he said, this June. <laughs> I thought my draft year was a year away. Yeah, I have yeah. a late August birthday. Yeah. I didn't even know my draft year. Wow. Could you imagine now? Yeah, right. Everything's planned. But, okay, so there's the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 100,000 hours or 10,000 hours or whatever that thing is. Yeah. Um, and obviously, look, you were a smaller guy, and the league was, you know, much bigger back then. Are you, you know, there's a famous story of, I think, was it Sidney Crosby's dryer down in his basement? He just shot pucks at yep. his dryer. Um, is this you as a kid? Is just not, a, like, can't get enough hockey, like going to the rink after practice and all of that stuff? Is that you? Yes, but I also played baseball, loved baseball. Yep. I also played soccer. I played golf a little bit, you know, when they got to be 11 and 12. But in our basement, we had an old door, and um, it wasn't it wasn't attached to anything. It was just lying yeah. on its side. I yeah. found out later it wasn't an old door. It was a, a good door. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I painted a square on it. And I asked my dad, who never went down in the basement because it was unfinished, and right. I said, hey, Dad, can I shoot pucks at that door? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Right. So you can imagine, like, my mom and dad were so great be, for many, many reasons. But 
this was a house that had me shooting pucks off a door. Now, it's not a big house either. My youngest brother was a, a drummer, so he was playing the drums. My oldest brother played the trumpet. Can you imagine the noise? <laughs> Just drums, a trumpet, and a, and a puck hitting a door over and over. And so I would just yeah. shoot pucks at this thing. I'd make my own game up. Yeah. And then my dad wanted me. Favorite player was Dave Keon. Mm-hmm. And so I always used a straight stick because Dave Keon used a straight stick, the great center for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so dad had somehow heard about this. I don't know where. Okay. <laughs> I mean, my dad ran a concrete business. He didn't never skated in his life. Just yeah. loved to watch me play. Yeah. So he got these two cans, like paint cans, and one went on my right and one went on my left, and I passed pucks at these paint cans on my forehand and backhand, and then I'd shoot at the door. Like, Mm-hmm. I did it all the time. I make my. I was down there by myself. I made my own game up. In the summer, I would go and shoot tennis balls at a net in the driveway. Okay. And my mom's friends would say, you know, they'd say to her, Anna, why doesn't Raymond go do something fun? And she's like, he thinks that's fun. That that's what he loves. And baseball. It, and baseball. And, and, and baseball, because uh, I, just, I just loved baseball. I mean, I was... I've, I've been a pretty fortunate guy. I mean, we're from a little town, as I mentioned, and both me and my little brother, who um, is five years younger than me, um, we went to the Little League World Series yeah. in Williamsport. Our, yeah. t- our teams represented Canada, and so I mean, I, you know, there I am, eleven years old, playing in front of fifteen thousand people. Right? It was just, yeah, it, it no, was amazing. It, it, Baseball was my sport in the summer, but then I'd shoot tennis balls at a net too. Yeah. You know, I, there's always that thing about uh, athletes in, in any professional sports, like, you know, the Alexei Kovalevs uh, in hockey or, or, you know, you name it in, in, in different sports. And the guys that like, oh, if they only if they only try, they have so much talent and skill, but they don't they don't work hard. They don't try. And my thing is always I mean, maybe I'm guilty of that a little bit, but to, you don't ever get to the top league of any sport without, you know, 100,000 hours into it for the Kovalevs or whoever these guys are. Yeah, there's, I mean, some, anybody that's playing in the NHL has been gifted. Yeah. You know, you've been touched by the hockey gods and, mm-hmm. you know, to, to even work your way through minor hockey to get into a position that you might get drafted. Um, I remember in the first lockout, <clears throat> the first big lockout, I was retired. And this guy in Vancouver was telling me about, I was at a rink with, with my sons and my older sons and they were saying that or this guy was telling me that yeah i just skated with brad may man he's unreal and i'm like yeah he is you know he gets like five to eight goals a year (laughs) now now mayday's world was a different world right like he was a tough tough guy but my point being to this guy is like you don't have any concept no how good the nhl is and so those guys that like anybody that makes it is incredibly gifted. Like you, you hear fans all the time and they're like, Oh, that guy's brutal. He sucks. Oh, really? Yeah. Go on the yeah. ice with him. You yeah. will never touch the puck. Yep. yep. Anybody that plays in the NHL, in most cases, if you went on the ice and played in a competitive game, not in most cases, in 99.8% yeah. of the cases, yep. you'd never touch 
you'd never touch the puck. Now, you bring up Al- Alex Kovalev. I played with him with the Rangers. Hands down, most talented guy I ever played. That's why I brought him up. Right. Yeah, you've, you've said yeah, this Alex, over and over. Alex, yeah. Oh, man. He was a genius. Not just in hockey, but Al's a genius. Like, he learned to fly. He learned to fly a helicopter. He yeah. taught himself how to play music. Like, he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. And I think part of the problem with really brilliant guys is they see the nonsense and have no tolerance for it. Where the rest of us go, yeah, you know what? Yeah. That's really stupid. So I'll just do what the coach says, and it's really stupid, and then we'll move past it. Or he would say, no, that's stupid, and I'm not doing it. Yep. Right, right. Yeah, he's just like, that's dumb. That's nothing to do with this game tonight that we got to get ready for or whatever, or this game tomorrow night. Exactly. No. Um, all right, so going back to your in Picton, why Penticton? How does that happen? How do you get there? Who calls you? What is that? Uh, what are your choices? Well, I was – I was playing uh, playing in trail, playing mm-hmm. junior B, yep. and the head coach in Penticton was a, a guy who um, has, you know, become a friend, um, you know, but at the time I just knew him as a hockey coach. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Mark Pezen, and uh, Mark was coaching junior B in Castlegar, which is the next town over to from trail. Okay. And then his teams won in junior B, and then he went to Penticton. Mm-hmm. A, a couple of years in front of me. Yeah. And so he knew me from the Kootenays, I guess. That's where Trail Castlegar and Nelson are from. Right. Um, uh, a little town called Nelson, uh, that's where Greg Adams from the Canucks and New Jersey, that's where he came from. Um, you know, Castlegar had Steve Bozak, who, yeah. who played for Los Angeles in the Canucks. And, um, and so Mark went to Penticton. And they recruited me to play. I mean, it's four hours from home. And I made the, I made the team as a 16-year-old. Um, and my dad, again, who, you know, God, I wish everybody had, the, you know, the relationship with their father that I did with mine. But mm-hmm. I trusted him implicitly, everything. His word always seemed to be the right note. Mm-hmm. And... One of the things he said was when I made the team at 16, he said, well, Raymond, why don't you stay at home and play junior B for another year, master the league you're in, so when you go to Penticton as a 17-year-old, you'll be in in a better position to play more. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. So I stayed at home. And your dad, the, con- your dad the concrete guy, still knew the sport yeah, dad, a little bit, right? Like, he still kind of... Yeah, dad, well, he knew people, right? Yeah, and yeah. he had this gut feel. And so I stayed home. I scored 86 goals in 40 games. And it's a record that still stands. And then I went to, I went to Penticton the next year and scored 65 goals in 48 games and got drafted by Hartford in the fifth round. And, and, and so, yeah, perfect he advice. He was right. Right, right. Yeah, he was right. Like so many times, I see these players now, and they're they're rushed to get better. They they move to the next league. They never, in my dad's words, master the league they're in. Mm-hmm. And so you're always playing a little bit of catch up. Yeah. Uh, and so I I don't know that it helps you in a lot of cases. As it turned out for me, that's how I ended up in Penticton, and I was going to college. And um, I had a scholarship to Northern Michigan University, full ride. Mm -hmm. And that 
year, in the summer, right after I got drafted, my junior rights got traded to Portland, the Portland Winterhawks. And Portland was hosting the Memorial Cup. First time ever yep. the Memorial Cup host was going to get a bye. Oh, was that, was that when it started? Way back then. Okay, I never... Yeah, yeah. 1982. Yep. And so, or 1983. So, in my naive 17-year-old brain, uh-huh. I went, well, I'm already drafted. The fastest way to the NHL is just to play junior, not to go to college. So I'll just go to junior. And that's how I ended up in Portland. I turned down the scholarship. Yeah. And the so here here's actually a pretty good story. So again, because I was really unworldly to all of this stuff. So now it's late August, yeah. and I have to call the coach at Northern Michigan, yeah. Rick Calmly. Okay. And tell him that I'm not coming. So I phone him, and I'm like, hey, coach, it's Ray, and um, I've decided to go to the Western Hockey League. I'm going to go to Portland. And he loses it on me. Oh, really? Oh, jeez. And he's like, well, what the F am I going to do with this scholarship now? There's no players to give it to. Everybody's committed. Mm -hmm. You are flushing your career down the toilet. Oh, boy. You're freaking out. And so You're freaking out. Oh, am I ever. I am, like, I'm literally in tears. And so dad gets home from work. I tell him what happens. I hear him on the phone. My dad never butted in. Mm-hmm. Ever, ever, ever. He was the dad that stood at the far end of the rink and stood by himself because yeah. he didn't want to listen to the bullshit that was going on in the other yeah, yeah. Uh, parts of the rink. Or right. So anyway, he called Rick Calmly, the coach, and basically told him, don't ever frickin' talk to my kid again like that. Yeah. So I I go to Portland. A few years later, I'm in Hartford, and there's a Christmas tournament in Hartford, a college tournament, and Northern Michigan's playing. And I walk out of the dressing room, and I run right into Rick Conley. And um, say, hi, how you doing? I felt pretty good. I was coming out of the Whalers locker room. And uh, he said, uh, well, I guess it all worked out for you. And I'm like, (laughs) I guess so. I guess it did. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see you later. That's that's funny. Um, so you talked about the story a few times. You didn't know you'd been drafted. You got a phone call. You had no idea the Whalers were kind of watching you or on the radar or anything else. Uh, fifth round. No idea. No. Yeah, fifth no. round, 88 overall. You just get a phone call. Oh, hey, look, I've been drafted. Right on. Yeah. Well, I found out from the radio station, the local radio station, I got a call from the Whalers a couple of days later. And, uh, you know, hey, we drafted you in the fifth round. (laughs) Right. You know, it's not like today where they call from the draft table. Yeah. So, anyways, I don't hear anything else from them. Just that I've been drafted. I mean, they didn't say, hey, kid, we we want you to. I guess back they didn't say, hey, kid, put on this much muscle. Hey, kid, what are you doing with your... No, I never talked to anybody. (laughs) I never talked to anybody. I hadn't seen anybody. I I didn't go to training camp. Yeah, obviously, right, yeah. Right? And so then I just... And that summer, so I had been drafted, right? Then I went to Portland. I saw somebody in that summer, or during that season when I was in Portland. I don't recall who. So that... Then I get traded to... To Brandon. I still don't talk to anybody. <laughs> Thanks. Hartford's really monitoring my career. They're really looking out for I, me. <laughs> so you, I got no idea if they know if my name's Ray or Fred. <laughs> right. right? Like, no idea. Oh, what a different time. So, what a different time. That, 
that year, um, I signed my entry-level contract right after my year in Brandon. Mm-hmm. Or no, prior to my year in Brandon. Okay. So my first contract, I got twenty grand to sign, and my contract was seventy thousand, eighty thousand, ninety thousand, three-year deal. If I didn't make the team, I got twenty thousand in the American League, twenty-two thousand the second year, and twenty-five thousand the third year. That was that was my yeah, first contract. That was it. Um. So, why'd you get traded to Brandon? How did that come together? Because Portland well, was a good was team. A, yeah, Portland was a good team. We yeah. won the Memorial yeah. Cup. Yes, Cam Neely. Um, you played with Neely. Our, you played with uh, uh, Mike Vernon, right? Can you? Yeah, yeah, but but the, in, to me, the I was the third center on that team. In front of me was Kenya Remchuk, first round pick by Chicago, mm-hmm. and Alfie Turcott, first round pick yep. by Montreal. And Alfie's son, by the way, in an aside, he's um, uh, he's going he's going to go in the first round this year. Um, Alf, Alfie's the, son. The, 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 so anyway, the, the Department of Feeling Old. More yes. <laughs> breaking news in the Department of Feeling Old for Ray Ferraro. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So those two guys are in front of me. So I play third line. I play third line minutes. I score 40 goals in 50 games. I broke my wrist. I missed 22 games. We win the Memorial Cup. And so I get a phone call in the middle of August from the Winterhawks. Mm-hmm. And the secretary, in a very curt voice, when I answer the phone, she says, Hello, Ray. Uh, hold for Mr. Shaw. Mr. Shaw's Brian Shaw. He was the owner and the yeah. general manager. So I'm like, I wonder what the hell he wants, right? And so he calls. And he gives me this song and dance. They're worried that I'm going to make the Whalers. I haven't even talked to anybody with the Whalers. Like I'm sure yeah. this isn't happening. Right. So he gives me this line of bullshit that you don't want to lose all three centers. So because Yeremchuk and Turcotte were going to turn pro. Yeah. So they traded me and four other guys to Brandon for this one player, Blaine Kraft. Oh, okay. Never heard of him. So yeah. He got drafted in the seventh round by Vancouver, never played pro. Okay, all right. So I go to Brandon. Yep. I don't want to go to Brandon. It's too far. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't want to go. Any, right. Anyway, I'm holding out for a trade back west. I think I can put enough pressure on them that they'll move me because my coach in Penticton, remember Mark Pezen, is now coaching the expansion team in the Western Hockey League, Kelowna. Okay. Yep. So I'm kind of half-assed talking to him. There's sure. a little, you know, that's really not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but anyway, right. I'm talking to him, and it turns out their captain that year was Mike Babcock. Oh. So. Had I waited a couple of more days, I would have got traded to Kelowna, and they were terrible. And Babcock was the captain. So, anyways, I'm holding out, and again, my dad, who got just about everything right, uh-huh. said, you should probably go. They they made the trade for you. They've 
they say they've got big plans for you. Why don't you go and give it a try? So I go, I finally go to Brandon. I get there two days before the regular season, meet my teammates. I don't know anybody but the three guys that got traded from Portland yeah. that are there yeah. with me. I score three goals the first game, three goals the second game. It never stopped. Everything's, everything's great, I, right. Everything was great, and I scored 108 goals. Yeah. Now, it, and again, did not get the invite to the World Juniors. Still, still amazing. No, didn't get it. Didn't get it. I had fifty goals at Christmas. No invite to the junior team. So that was like, you know, I was stunned. Mm-hmm. But then I just kind of went along, and because what are you going to do? So I right. kept going, and the goals kept going in, and this it's the around I would say early February. I'm like, man, I got a real chance at the record, which was 96 goals, because. Even at Christmas, I had 50 goals. I still needed 46 goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's insane. This is crazy when you think about that many goals. And this is the Western so, League in the early 80s, which, which, I mean, I would imagine, Ray, you would get two or three, and then Dave Manson is coming after you to stop scoring. Well, I, I, <laughs> I've told this story a number of you times. Have, yep. we, would, we would go into a game and... I would look at the other team's roster and think, okay, if there's a brawl, who could I grab? Yeah, I could grab that guy or that guy. I sure as hell don't want that guy. <laughs> and so in the four or five games a year there was a brawl, you'd be looking for the guy that was your size. <laughs> Chances are he's looking for you. You just don't want to get lost in yeah, the crowd yeah, and end hey. up with some guy that just beats the snot out of you for something to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy numbers to think about. 108 goals. Now Hartford has got to be all over you, right? Just be like, hey, kid, yeah. keep it up. Let's you know we got a spot. We come to camp. We're ready. All that during the year. I get to camp. Yeah. No, no, I didn't hear anything. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So whatever. I heard a great story from Jack Evans, who was our coach. So one night against Prince Albert, I got seven goals. Mm-hmm. And I guess the news, that, you know, yeah. by then people were noticing, what the hell, this guy's scoring a lot of goals. And uh, I guess Jack Evans said at the time, do they use goalies in the Western League? <laughs> you know, and he got yeah, yeah. a – and then as I got to know Jack, I mean, what a, what a terrific man he was and funny. and so. But nobody I, – I never heard from the – general manager who was Emile Francis. There was no assistant GM, I don't think, in those days. Yeah. So there was nobody out on the road watching you or anything. The next year I got I got some kind of letter or contact or something and yeah. I went to training camp. And so I figure, you know, it's my first pro camp and I just scored a hundred goals and I think I can make the team. I lasted four days in camp and I got sent down to the minors. That was it. Yeah. Didn't play an exhibition game. Really, huh? Went down to, just, that's it. Nope. Yeah. Went down to Binghamton, New York, and um, went to training camp in the American League and started my career there. Yeah. But not a sniff of Hartford. Not a sniff. Uh, crazy to me to think about that when you, when, you, when you think about now in this day and age. But you got, tw- you got 20 goals in 37 games down in Binghamton. Yep, and, I did. And, um, again, like – the difference of, you know, each level you move is really 
really an eye opener. You know, I I went to Binghamton and we were sharing our American League team with the Washington Capitals, and so we got a couple of guys from their team. That our defense was five veterans who were like twenty five or six years old, and Ol Samuelson. Our team in Binghamton was so good. We just we crushed yeah. almost anybody we played because yeah. we had these older guys and our younger guys were you know guys that all ended up playing in the NHL. Dean Evison, myself, uh, Paul McDermott, Paul Fenton, who's the GM in mm-hmm. um, Minnesota. Minnesota now. Yep. Um, so we had we had seven or eight NHL guys kind of incubating in in Binghamton. And we had a we had a really good time, like it was fun, but man, you start running into a twenty five or twenty six year old when you're twenty. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. It it was an eye opener <laughs> for me. And so um Mark Johnson, who was a terrific center, uh he separated his shoulder in December and I got called up to Hartford. That's that was my break. My window opened up there and uh, I played my first game against Boston and um you know, was terrified and couldn't believe my you know, my boyhood team, my favorite team yeah, yeah. was across the center red line and you know, first game went by, nothing really much happened and mm-hmm. the second game was the next night in Montreal and um Stepping in, lost, the, yeah, they, stepping in the I, I think, form is pretty cool, you know? Oh, it was, You go Boston I mean, Garden. I watched that building. Yeah. I'd, I'd been, no, no, we were in Hartford the first oh, game. Oh, Hartford, okay, yeah. And then, um, and then Montreal Forum the second night, and I'd watch that building on Hockey Night in Canada every week, it mm-hmm. seemed like, and, you know, we got steamrolled. Guy Carbonell scored 15 seconds into the game. Yeah. I want to say the game ended up 10-5. <laughs> okay. And, um... Uh, I got a goal and three assists, and uh, I was minus four. Yeah, yeah, you've told that story a few times. You were dangerous and on so, both ends, on both ends, both ends of the <laughs> ice. I mean, man, there were a lot of goals, and yeah. you know. So again, though, like I, I would say, the one theme was just my naivety through it all. Was so I yeah. figure like. I'm there now. Like, I just got a goal and three assists in the NHL. All right. And then Mark Johnson came back, and I played two more games and got sent down. <laughs> now, you're getting right? a, and yeah, I, now you're getting a little dose of how it really is. How it really is. And then I got called up and sent back down. So my first goal was a Ray Newfeld slap shot that hit me in the left knee and went in. <laughs> nice. I never scored in the NHL for 24 more games. Yeah. My next goal was in my 26th game, and it was against the Vancouver Canucks on a goalie named Frank Caprice. And that was the first goal I scored in the NHL with my stick. <laughs> 26 games later. And Hartford sucked so bad. What they did, which turned out to be an absolute gift to us young guys, was they traded away a bunch of veterans, and they basically told all us guys from Binghamton, you're going to play the rest of the year, and whatever happens, happens. You know, and yeah. so for me, I, I kind of got my feet wet, and I certainly wasn't having much success. And then at the end of the year, I got hot. I got two hat tricks in six days and um, scored 11 goals in, my, in 44 games. And the next year, I made the team and scored 30 goals and never looked back. Yeah. Yeah, like if, if it's a different 
team philosophy, a different mindset, you don't make it to that 26 game to score your second goal, right? Like if if they don't 100%. Yeah. If they if 100%, yeah. Steve, what if I was drafted by a really good team? Yeah. And yeah. your window never really opens up. And you might be doing good in the American League, but they don't have any room for you. Right. I got lucky cuz Hartford wasn't good and we turned into be a very good team and pretty short order you know ron francis was drafted the year before me and then the year i got drafted myself Ulf samuelson and kevin denine yeah got drafted so Ulfie got drafted in the third round kevin in the fourth round me in the fifth round so in two drafts there were four players i got leute mike leute came over from st louis leute came in yeah. uh, my first year that mike came in a trade right at the end of the year mm-hmm we made a trade with Washington and picked up um, Dean Evison and Peter Sidorkovich, who became our backup goalie to Mike, and then took over as the starter when when Mike was moved along. Yeah. But all of a sudden, we had all these young guys that kind of came at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we lost in the seventh game in 1986 to Montreal in the second round in overtime. And Montreal won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That year. Like, we were close. We were really close. You upset you upset Quebec in the first round, which was a big deal yep. back then. Quebec was rolling. and They had the Stastny brothers yeah. and Michelle Goulet. They were very good. And yeah. we rolled over top of them and then, um, you know, lost Montreal. to Montreal. Yeah. And, and we, were, we were close. Yeah, you think about that seventh game of overtime and all the things. You've talked about it before. You know, you had a shot, you had a chance. Uh, yeah, like all those things, it, it, things could change, right, for the for a team. Well, Just, and that was, you know, for them, for Montreal, that was Patrick Waugh's rookie year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had never really seen a goalie play the butterfly like Patrick had. You know, Patrick was really the forefather of that style of play. With with Francois Allaire was his, uh, was his goalie coach, and so... We're like, well, we'll just shoot it over his shoulders. And yeah. then 18 years later, we were still trying to shoot it over his shoulders. <laughs> Only he had a little bigger and, equipment back 18 years later. Oh, but, well, then he, then he just brought a piece of plywood right, into the net. Right. Um, and so, but that, you know, I mean, you know, Patrick got hot. The Canadians were no better than us, but they got hot. They had some really good, I mean, Chris Chelios was there. Larry Robinson was there on the blue line. They were a very, very good team, but they kind of came out of nowhere as well. Mm-hmm. And then they got by us, and the New York Rangers were waiting in the semifinals, and the Rangers had been decimated by injury. And so Montreal rolled past them in five games, and then they got to the final and beat Calgary. Yeah. But you're young, and you're like, yeah. oh, hell, we'll be back there again. Well, the next year, and you no, win the division. You win the division. Um, yeah. And Quebec upsets you. Quebec's the, the, the four, fourth in the division, and they upset the Whalers. And that was a real lesson for what is what sport is like when you have expectation. Mm-hmm. Like, we were expected to do really well. The year before, nobody even, hell, nobody knew our names. Now we win the division. We had over 100 points. We, we were good. And we ran into Quebec. And the series was chippy and physical, and we were young and immature. 
and yeah. we took a bunch of penalties, and Peter Stastny killed us. <laughs> he just they went to town on on your on your oh, PK. I, I I will never remember or never forget rather in overtime of the sixth game, Peter got a breakaway in Quebec in the old Coliseum, and it like he got the breakaway on Mike Leute, and it was like over. Yeah. Like he was going to score. <laughs> like, you know, it just, yeah. and it's not, that's not to say that, oh, Mike couldn't stop him, but it was just, at that point in the series, we had hurt ourselves so many times, it was over. Well, and at this time, too, you're starting, you're playing, you're center, and Ron Francis is number one center, and you're starting to see like an all timer. Just an all, you know, a legend growing at this point. Uh, not getting a ton of attention because it's Hartford, but people would find out later. But that must have been cool, well, too. Well, Ronnie never, even really when he was in Pittsburgh, because, of course, he was playing behind Lemieux and he had Yager. And Ronnie, I, I, I've often said he's among the most underrated players in the history of the NHL. Nobody ever really talked about him. But there wasn't a thing Ron couldn't do except win a skating race. Because mm-hmm. he wasn't a fast yeah. skater, but he was super smart. He was an unbelievable passer. He was a terrific penalty killer. He was he was impossible to beat on face-offs. Like, there was nothing Ron couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And in Hartford, you know, he was a year older than me, but he seemed so much older. <laughs> you know, he was our captain. He was our leader. He was mature. He was so thoughtful. Like so, when he spoke, yeah. you know, he was measured. Um, Do you think Ron would look at the Colorado mascot video t-shirt cannon and laugh that many times? Oh yeah, he would. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. All right. Would. Okay. Just checking. Now, one thing I got to <laughs> say about this team in Hartford too, and I've mentioned it, I know before. Is yeah. We had a plethora of coaches on that team crazy amount of coaches. If you go down that roster from the 1986 Whalers Mm -hmm. team and look at the guys that got into the hockey side, the management side. So Ron Francis was a general manager. Mike Liute Liute has been a longtime agent. Dean Evason, Dave Tippett, Doug Jarvis, um, Uh, Ulf Samuelson, Ulf Samuelson, Brad Shaw, uh, Sylvain Cote, did Steve he not? Weeks. The Cote? No, not Cote. Okay. Steve Weeks. Um, if I go through our lines, I'll probably do a better job. John Anderson. Um, John Anderson. John Anderson. Uh, Randy Latisseur. There, there had to be 10. Yeah. That coach. Yeah. Which is an amazing number. And maybe the problem was we had too many coaches. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, looking back But on. it was really a, really a cool, tight-knit team. Um I, I I just I love that time. I lo- I love that time yeah. in my career. It, it really was. It was uh, lots of young guys and yeah, a lot of potential there. Um, you you're scoring, like you said, thirty goals your first full season, twenty seven, twenty one, forty one, and eighty eight, eighty nine, and it's your career best, forty one goals. Uh, you're getting yep. knocked out in the first round all the time, though, which has to be frustrating. You're finishing fourth in the, as a whale, and you're getting knocked out in the first round, and it just seems like, you know, the the division is stacked, and and it's you guys can't get over that hump. It is, and it's starting to feel like they might make some changes, you know. And then they 
They traded Dave Tippett. They traded Mike Leude. Inexplicably, they left Stu Gavin, one of our best role player penalty killers. They left him unprotected on waivers, and so Stu went to Minnesota. Um, you know, the team was starting to come apart. Mm-hmm. They traded me for Doug Crossman. That, you know, that deal didn't work out for them. And then, you know, they made the the blunder of all blunders, and they traded Ron Francis and Alt Samuelson yeah. to Pittsburgh. Yeah. And Eddie Johnson was the general manager. And EJ used to be in Pittsburgh, and then he came to Hartford. And then eventually he went back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> but he told us in Hartford that he was building a Stanley Cup winner. He just didn't tell us it was in Pittsburgh. <laughs> he left that part out of it, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you coming off 41, new coach Rick Lee the next year, and you just never – before you get traded, you just never really mesh with Rick, do you? It doesn't work out. He doesn't. Nope. He doesn't not, like your style. You're not a fan of his style, and it's yeah. It, he didn't like. He didn't like me. I didn't like him. Yep. I would say that was the worst time with a coach in my NHL career. And, and you're coming off 41 the year before. Like things are good. Yeah. If you if you said to me, you can play another year, but you've got to play for Rick Lee. I yeah. would say no, thank you. <laughs> That's it. You're out. Yeah. yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Like if you said to me right now, right? Somehow we'll make you fast enough, and <laughs> your knees will be okay. Dec- your knees will be yeah, fine. not decrepit. You can go back and play, and you got to play for Rickley. I say no. <laughs> oh, it was that bad, huh? Uh, I just yep. He he couldn't stand me. I couldn't stand him. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got traded, I was stunned, but I wasn't, like, I'd never known anywhere else. Right. But I wasn't crushed, because I'm like, good, I get to get away. Yeah. So, here's here's how you get traded in 1987. I come home from practice, or 1989. No, 1989. You come yeah. Home, yeah, you come home from practice, and there's a message on your answering machine. And the red light is flashing, which, of course, we don't have anymore. So the red light's flashing. I'm like, oh, I got a message. So I listen to the message. I'm home by myself. My, my wife wasn't there, and um, I don't know where she was, whatever. And so the message goes, and it's the secretary uh, for Eddie Johnson, the general manager. Ray, uh, it's Eddie Johnson's secretary. Uh, could you give him a call when you get in? I just left the rink. So I'm like, well, this can't be yeah. So I call back, and she says, oh, EJ stepped out for lunch. He'll be back in an hour. So now i got to sit there for an hour. Yeah. I literally grab a copy of the hockey news off the kitchen table, and I'm looking through the lineups going, who needs a centerman? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm now 98.5% sure. Yeah, you're like, I just left the rink. If it was that important, they would have called me in. Something's bad, and I'm, yeah. I'm leaving. Yeah. So. So I'm going through, I, I can't quite piece it together. The phone rings, and I take a deep breath, and I go, oh, this is it. So I pick up the phone. Hello, right? Bill Torrey. And yeah. I'm like, oh, hello, Bill. Yeah. I guess I'm coming to the Islanders. <laughs> and he says, uh, you don't know yet? And I said, no, I called EJ, but he's out for lunch. And he says, and Bill, who's just passed away, what a terrific man. Yeah. Funny, but very stern, but I, I mean, he, he, he really gave me a break by trading for me. He says, 
Oh, for Christ's sake, EJ could screw up a one-car parade. <laughs> and so he says, call me back when you when you talk to EJ. Oh, yeah. And so EJ calls me. Hello, Ray. Eddie Johnson. Uh, hello, EJ. How are you? I, I just talked to Bill Torrey. And he's like, oh, well, then you know. Uh, I've traded you to Hartford or traded you to New York for Doug Crossman. Okay. <laughs> that was it. Click. <laughs> Click. Yeah, I mean, for, what else am I going to say to him? Yeah, 41, right? so, 41 the year before, like, killing it. and No, no, but yeah. I mean, there's yeah. they can trade you at any time. Oh, but yeah, for sure. After he's traded you, he's already told you who you traded for. I've already talked to the other GM. Yeah. I don't got anything it's, else uh, to it say. Just, it just seems like after all those years in one spot, they drafted you and you performed pretty well. I don't know. You think you'd so get what? So, like, yeah. Right. What else are they going to do? Yeah. We just That's the old, we've made a change and you're it. <laughs> right. So... So I call Bill Torrey back, and he's like, okay, talk to Joanne, uh, the secretary, and she'll help you with your travel. Turns out they're in Calgary, and they want me there to play. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, uh, I got to go back to the rink to get my gear. Yep. And so I'm going to go in the morning. I got to get some money, and I don't know how long. They're on a road trip. Right. So... I go down to the rink the next morning. I've got a flight like at noon or 2 o'clock or something. I'm driving back, and I'm in a total fog, and I get get pulled over for speeding. And the cop pulls me over, and he's like, uh, I hand him my license and registration, and he looks, he goes, and this Hartford's a small place, and he says, Whoa, you do, you got traded yesterday. And I'm like, yep, I'm just on my way home to pick up my clothes to go to the airport. And he's yeah. like, oh, man, I'll let you go. He's like, good luck to you. And, right. That's, you know. So, so when, you, when I, you went to the rink I, to get your stuff with your teammates, were they just off of practice? Did they tell you to show up? No, they were gone. Oh, okay. They were gone. Everyone was gone. They were you, gone you never, somewhere else. You never saw your guys again. Like, you left the practice the day no. before and then, right. That was it. Yeah. And so I get home, I get to the airport, I fly to Calgary. Next morning I go to the go to breakfast. I don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? And guys are as surprised to see me as I am to see them. Right. Right? Because they they don't hey, wouldn't there's it, no internet. Wouldn't it be the worst if you got traded for like a super popular guy like Doug Crossman was like the life of the party? And then you got, you know, like, wouldn't that suck to get traded for a guy that everybody liked? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, and Doug was a really quiet guy. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't, he wouldn't right. have been that. But I'm just described. saying in general, like in general, like everyone's looking at you like, ah. Right. Oh. So I go to the rink. I don't know, you know, so I'm I'm playing on a line. So I meet Al Arbor. I meet right. Lauren Henning. I meet Darcy Regeer. They're the coaches. You go around, shake everybody's hands, and I get into my gear. Mm-hmm. I'm number 33 because they don't have any other numbers. I'm like, this sucks. I hate this number. <laughs> so I go out for practice, and my line mates are Brad Delgarno and Bill Berg. Yeah. I have never heard of Bill Berg. <laughs> right. And, by the way, you're you're like a scorer, like a like a talented guy. These guys are no, no offense to but them. But I'm also but, like right. a hockey geek. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah. So he'd just been called up. I did notice his number was number four. And so I'm like, I've got a winger wearing a defenseman's number. <laughs> right. Right. You're turns like, this, out, this, this Berg, can't be well. Turns out Bergie had been, Bergie had been a defenseman. They called him up. They moved him to the wing, and he was doing quite well. 
So anyways, the game goes on. We're playing in Calgary. We win 4-3 in overtime. I get two goals. Couldn't have been any better. Yeah. Right? Then, of course, there's ups and downs. The year we weren't a very good team, and I find out pretty quickly why they traded for me because both Pat LaFontaine and Brent Sutter wanted to be traded. Yeah. And they're like, so they didn't have any other center. We need, they were yeah. piecing together the replacement. So, excuse me. Was So they traded LaFontaine to Buffalo. We got Benoit Hogue, who became my left winger, alongside of Pat Flatley. Best line I ever played on. Um, I ended up scoring 40 goals with those guys. That was the line when we went to the semifinals. That was my line. Man, I loved playing with those guys. Yeah. But we got Benoit Hogue and Dave McElwain um, from, from Buffalo, among others. We traded Brent Sutter to Chicago. We got Steve Thomas and Adam Creighton. Thomas went on to play with Pierre Turgeon, uh, who, who was the centerpiece of the deal yeah, for LaFontaine. Came back for LaFontaine, yeah, exactly. So Bill Torrey, basically, in those two trades, mm-hmm. I guess plus mine, he rebuilt his top six. Yeah, when you think about so, it, right? That's crazy. Yeah, he really turned so them out. They had, right. Yeah, they had, tra- they had drafted Derek King in the first round a couple of years before. So they traded LaFontaine, they got Turgeon, they traded Sutter, they got Thomas. That was our first line. King, Thomas, mm-hmm. Turgeon. They traded for me. They had drafted Pat Flatley, and Benoit Hogue came in the Turgeon deal. There's their top six. Like, it was yeah. pretty impressive when you saw the bigger picture, how he put it together. So when you And sh- then I became a New York Islander, and when you sh- I, just, I got to play. Sorry, I got yeah. to play for Al Arbor. And what a and Bill Torrey, you know, of course, was the general manager. And I'm so thankful to have played for those two guys. Like, yeah. Bill was, when you walked in, you called Bill either GM or Mr. Torrey. And he was the boss. And you called Al, you called, I mean, some guys, I guess, called him Radar. I sure did. Yeah, that I went back to Al. his playing days, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but man, I just, those were my best years. When you... I, I, I loved being in Hartford. Mm-hmm. I loved it because we all grew up together, a bunch of young guys, but I loved my years with the Islanders. That, that was the best. When you showed up there, was LaFontaine and Sutter, like, were they a little prickly and a little bad mood because they didn't want to be there? They were simply waiting? Or were they, do you remember them being, like, still into it? No, you know what? With, with Patty, you could tell he was on the way out. Yeah. Like, he had made it known a little more publicly. Brent, you didn't really get much of that from mm-hmm. him. Yep. And, um, but... Pat, you knew yeah. he was he was on the whale. Right, uh, Brent, not so much. Did you play the whale that that year when you got traded? Yes. Okay, what was that like? And, a lot of chirps. Uh, <laughs> not really. It was weird. Yeah. It was weird. Um, did you go to Hartford? Not or they comfortable. Did, did no, they go? not not. I play. I didn't play in Hartford till the next year. Okay. Yeah. And I actually I scored that night which felt great, but right. it's never really comfortable playing your former team. Yeah, You want to beat them, you want to do well, but it's just, I don't know, it's just yeah. not comfortable at all. Yeah. 
Did they have a video tribute for you when you went back, or those are still new? Those are those no. We didn't. I, we didn't have a video board. <laughs> no video boards at all. Nothing. No. <laughs> I, I think they might have said. No, they didn't say anything. Yeah. I was just a guy. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the cheerleaders sang out your name, Ferraro. Give me an F. Give me an R. Whatever they had back uh, then. No, nah, yeah. you know what? I I like to. I'm trying to remember here, but I what I do. What I did like about going back to Hartford is like the people that you would never see. Yeah. Like uh, fans would never see. I got to see again. You know, mm-hmm. the guy that worked the parking garage, yeah. the, the guy that you walked through the security gate, um, the trainers, the extra equipment guys, like guys you would never know were in the building if you were just a fan because you would never be underneath the arena. Mm hmm. I got to see all those guys, and it was, and you know, I'd been there seven years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, you know, we'd walk out after a game, and the security guy'd be like, "Hey, great game, good luck on Tuesday." And right, you know, you start to, yep. you get to know them, you know. And so, I, I really, I really liked. I was lucky. I liked everywhere I played except Atlanta, mm-hmm. because we were so bad <laughs> and the traffic was terrible. Right, but I just. I I mean I loved it in Hartford. I know people later on made some jokes and they yeah. about they you know there was nothing going on in downtown Hartford and there probably wasn't. But when we were there there was and there was some good bars and the insurance agencies were all still there so when you went out there were lots of people there so we had a lot of fun. We were all young, we were growing together and we had a good team. And then I got traded to the Islanders and like I said that was yeah. just yeah. without question my my favorite time. And uh, all right, well, this is uh, this is part one of the deep dive into your career. We're going to come back, and uh, the next part will be a little bit about the the, the run in '93. That was awesome uh, by you guys in the Isles. We'll get into you choosing the New York Rangers as a free agent for the first time, and how that went, and and much much that went more. Well. <laughs> that, that was that was fantastic. Um, Actually, it went so well, Steve. I could give the entire game-by-game summary in the next pod of my Ranger career. (laughs) Right, it won't take long. Oh, fantastic. Uh, All right, well, hey, this has been a lot of fun, absolutely, and uh, I can't wait to get uh, into the season and talking about it, and uh, we'll wrap this up. Great stories, really interesting time, and uh, like I said, we've done this in bits and pieces, but I'm glad we're getting this down, so it's good. Well, you know what? My... I, I'll tell my kids and Cammy that, hey, you should listen, because then you can hear all my stories in one place. Right. There you go. Right. At the same time. Because, because they're tired of hearing my stories. I know. Yeah. My wife's the same way. Uh, fantastic. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the uh, the new season of Paul Pocky. We're going to have some exciting times. You and I, Ray, have been gone back with a couple phone calls, some texts. we got some ideas. It's going to be fun, I think. Uh, I think people are going to enjoy it. And, and, and of course, uh, you know, you, there's no one better at telling us about the game than you. I hate to hate to, you know. Blow your ego out on the on the first show of the season, but I, I really look forward to it, and I love listening to your opinion about the game, and it, it'll be a great year. Well, looking forward to getting it going. We'll not, knock this off next week, and uh, by then teams will be finalized, mm-hmm. and maybe some of the, the rest of the restricted free agents will be signed, like the, the teams will be firmed up and ready to go for the first week of October. Fantastic. Thanks, Ray. Talk to you.